Okay, so we're on. I know you guys haven't been to our classes lately, but last Wednesday we finished chapter 7, and we finished at verse 26. So let me just find that. Okay, so we got four verses left here in this chapter. Let's see how we go. Chapter 7. O Sion of Bharat, Arjuna, O conqueror of the foe, all living entities are born into delusion, overcome by dua the dualities of desire and hate. So... Knowledge of the Absolute. So to reread that, okay. So all living entities are born into delusion, overcome by the dualities of desire and hate. So this world is a world of illusion, of maya. We, the living entities that are born into this world, they consider themselves to be something that they are not. They think, I am this body. <clears throat> this is my wife or my girlfriend. These are my parents. This is my country. And this is me. So, it's like being in a uh, play, uh, in a theater play, and identifying yourself as those characters. That's what being born into this world is like. You, no matter what body you're in, temporarily, you identify, your, this is my identity, this is who I am. Not knowing that, there's been many, many bodies, and you've transmigrated from one body to the next. Uh, and in each of those bodies, you think, this is me, I am male, or I am female, or I am a dog, or I am a cat. And you go through life like this. And in every one of those bodies, there's uh, those living entities are, as Krishna says here, overcome by the dualities of desire and hate. So, uh, in every body that you get, you become overwhelmed, overcome by desire. So, everyone's moving around by because of desire desire forces people to do everything that they do they desire something and they work for it so this is what the living entities in this world are overcome and they have what they like and then what they don't like they have um they have their um, enemies and they have their friends they have their uh, things that they associate with and things that they can't understand that have that are you they don't understand how people could like those things <laughs> so um this is like that's the situation of the, the the living beings in this world but it really has nothing to do with the eternal living being that's within the body so um this is like the, the whole beginning of the yoga system is 
uh, <clears throat> extricating oneself from this illusion uh, of um, that this body is me and this world is my home, this is my family, like that. The enlightened people, they don't see this is my family, that, that the family of my, that I was born in, they don't consider that to be their actual family. They don't consider that the country they're born in to have anything to do with them. It's just a temporary thing. So uh, the more a person progresses in yoga, the less influence those type of um, uh, false attachments they have. So, uh, <clears throat> you know, there's a really nice story that I really like that really helps illustrate this point. So I'll share it with you. There was uh, a story of um, Krishna and Narada Muni who were walking in, uh, they were walking and uh, Krishna or Narada Muni said, to, see, now remember Narada Muni is um, a pure devotee of Krishna, a devotee of Krishna who has a special benediction who can go anywhere in the material worlds and the spiritual worlds. He's a, he's a transcendental traveler, travelers every, everywhere in, in a giving people Krishna, telling, speaking about Krishna, initiating people into um, bhakti-yoga. So, he, one day he was walking with Krishna, and he asked Krishna, uh, he s said to Krishna, I want to know what it's like to be caught in your illusory energy. Just like us, we're caught thinking, this body is me, this is my family, and this is my country, and so on. So, Narada wanted to know what it's like to be like that. <laughs> so, uh, Narada Muni asked Krishna, uh, I want to be like that. I want to I know what it's like to be caught in your illusory energy. So, Krishna said, you sure? You, you know, after all this time, you, you know, why? He's like, well, I want to know. I want to know what it's like. And then, so, Krishna said, okay, well, if you want to know... No, you know, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> so he was, they were walking, and then by Krishna's will, this beautiful magic lake appeared. And it looked really inviting and really beautiful. And there was like lotus flowers and swans and everything in it. And, you know, just like uh, you might see, you know, if you're on the Gold Coast on a hot day or something, and you see the ocean, it looks so beautiful and inviting and you want to take a swim, right? We can't really relate to that in Brisbane because all we have is a Brisbane River. But, you know, some places have beautiful water. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, so that, this is what it was like. It was a beautiful lake. And so, um, Krishna said, you go, remember, it's not a regular lake, it's a magic lake. So, Krishna said, you go and I'll be right behind you. I'll just go uh, wash my hands and I'll be right, or I'll do something and I'll be right behind you. So, um, Narada submerged himself in the lake, and when he came out, he wasn't, his, didn't have his uh, swarup, his spiritual form, but he had a uh, form of a beautiful young woman. And so, uh, this, with this. This body came this 
all the different feelings that a woman has and uh, desire for a mate and so on. And she, she, she was just living in this different life now. She'd forgotten about Krishna, forgotten about her eternal relationship and was, you know, was consumed by women, womanly feelings. And so, uh, sure enough, um, in uh, a, a beautiful uh, prince w rode by on a beautiful white horse, and one thing led to another, and he asked for her hand in marriage, and then they were married, and they had children. It was a, this prince, and then so they had a, they had a kingdom, and... Uh, they had ten children, and then to uh, avoid squabbling between the kids, they divided the kingdom up into ten, and then those those kids had kids, and so and then some calamity happened, and some some great suffering and everything, and then she was sitting there, thinking, "What is this? This has nothing to do with me." You know, it just kind of dawned on her that. The suffering that came about brought suffering that came about brought brought on this like feeling of this is nothing to do with me kind of feeling kind of a little bit you know detached a little bit from the whole thing and then just as that happened Krishna came laughing and the whole thing fell down like the backdrop of a theater play and then Krishna said this is what it's like to be caught in my illusory energy. So you completely forget about your actual eternal identity. You become so overwhelmed with uh, desire and hate that you completely forget about your own your own real eternal identity. So this potency of Maya, of Krishna's uh, very powerful energy called Maya. Or illusion is so strong that the living being can't uh, climb their way out of it. We can kind of we can come we can become aware of it, but it's very difficult, even when we're aware of it, to climb out of it. It's a, it's such an all-consuming force. So uh, there's only one solution, one way to to extricate oneself from this uh, illusion of maya and that is that Krishna lets you out so uh, as a person becomes more um, uh, advanced in bhakti yoga then they become less and less uh, they are able to see through the veil of illusion, of illusion more and more. So they become less and less influenced by uh, Maya and um, they can see through this. So this is, there's a great need uh, because, we're, because we don't know, in the beginning we don't know what is transcendental and what is illusion because we're so deeply entangled in maya that we cannot find our way out so this is why we need to take shelter of somebody who has conquered over maya who doesn't who is not no longer influenced by maya and that is what is a spiritual master somebody who's been released from the clutches of maya 
and therefore can see everything very clearly. But for a person who's uh, stuck in maya, entangled in maya, they don't know what is what. They're, ch they're endlessly chasing after uh, happiness or what, they, what appears to be happiness, but isn't actually happiness. It's one thing to another, to another, to another. They, they, don't, they cannot find any real happiness. All they find is suffering. Just like when somebody is uh, in a desert, they're extremely thirsty. And they get so thirsty that they dream of water. And sometimes water comes into their mind when they're awake. They have what's called a mirage where they see water. And they see finally there is some, uh, some uh, relief from my parched th throat or, you know. It becomes, at that point, I think it becomes a lot more than just your throat. <laughs> but, you know, you become, I've never been that thirsty before, but you'd be so thirsty that you probably feel it in a lot more than your throat. And you see, you, you see an illusion of water, and uh, you therefore run full steam ahead for that water. And you dive into it, and you come up even more thirsty than before, with a mouthful of sand. So... In this world, we see all kinds of solutions for our empty, parched heart. And we dive full steam ahead and come out um, with even more suffering than we began. So this is, uh, this is the, the, a trick of Maya. One of the, one of the um, le um, aspects of Maya is... She promises you uh, relief from your parched heart over and over again, and you dive into it more suffering, dive into it more suffering, and then, and but in, and 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 no matter like how many times you do it, you still think you know best, and you still think even though you've never succeeded <laughs> in becoming a happy person, you still think because of the influence of Maya, you still think this next thing. Even though you failed a hundred times in a row, for some reason you think this next thing is going to work. That's what I need, you know. So this is, uh, when a person is intelligent, they, they see that they're uh, in, a, in a helpless condition and then they take shelter of someone who can guide them out of the uh, morass of one failure after another. Okay. Um, can you like? I'm trying to separate this. Can you still do what Nurada really did? Like she had the husband, and like she had all these things. Like in a spiritual world, rather than Maya, Maya, like can you have those things that you just see that everyone's a spirit soul, and it's like. In the spiritual world or here? In the spiritual yeah. world. Yeah. There's husbands and wives in the spiritual world. I was trying to think, what's the opposite of Maya? Or what's the like flip side of that sort of Well, um, the flip side of Maya is uh, the real thing. So, uh, 
have you ever had like I when I used to drink alcohol, I used to uh, become so dehydrated that I uh, would dream of drinking water. Yeah. Right. Have you had that before? Yeah. No, I can't yeah. Kind of similar thing when I was like four. I stopped in my bed and I was like one, whatever. I was like really, really good, but but I had this dream that I was like peeing off the balcony, but I was actually just peeing in my bed. Mm. Okay, well, thanks for that. But <laughs> no, no, that's I do remember. That. It's like it's like a dream about something. Yeah, but that's not exactly how I was going with that. But no, I know but what you mean. but thanks for that wonderful story, Alex. You're, welcome. <laughs> you're sure it was when you were four, not just oh, recently. So anyway, I had this dream where I would, it was kind of a reoccurring dream almost every time I got drunk and I was dehydrated, went to sleep, that I was so thirsty, I was just dreaming of water and I would find water in my dream and I would drink it, but it would be the, the, the most hellish thing where you're, could you imagine if you're so thirsty and you're drinking water and because you're not drinking actual water and you're still thirsty, it doesn't quench your thirst. It's like, you know, it's like I'm in my dream, it's real. I'm drinking water, but because I, and, and it's supposed to quench my thirst, which I really have in my body. But because the, the thirst is real, but the dream is, is illusory, then I'm not really quenching my thirst. Like, could you imagine like if you were thirsty and you went to the tap and you drink water and it didn't do anything? Can you imagine that? Well, that's what I was having in my dream, right? So the difference is in the spiritual world, uh, when you do it, your thirst gets quenched. <laughs> in other words, when you're uh, when you engage in spiritual activity, which is which means really serving Krishna in one way or another, then your your quench for uh, satisfaction of the heart becomes satisfying. So that is the real version of the you know that's the flip side. The flip side is re real. This the the opposite side is it doesn't actually work. So the living being is actually thirsty for Krishna, um, but he's trying identifying himself with the body. He's trying to quench him, his thirst through uh, one relationship or another in the material world, but it doesn't f never work. The the living being always still ends up feeling uh, not satisfied, not full yet. So um, that's the flip side, you know. The flip side is there's actual satisfaction, uh, whereas in the, in the material sense, there is no satisfaction. It's a fake. It seems like it's going to satisfy you. You get what you want. You can grab it. You can touch it. But it doesn't actually fill your heart. You see? I'm not sure if that answers your question, but that is, you know, that's the opposite yeah. side. It's like the intention's different, maybe. Huh? Um, it's like the intention's different. So you could still have, like, a relationship and kids, but, like, it's a spiritual relationship rather than just a material sort of relationship. Right. And it fills you up. Yeah, so, so in... Uh, Spiritual, you know, spirituality isn't uh, living in the spiritual dimension necessarily. Spirituality means um, 
yeah, the way you see uh, everything. So, if I uh, am raising kids from my own pleasure, then that's not going to be satisfying. But if I raise my kids uh, for Krishna, to help them become uh, devotees of Krishna, in other words, to help them be happy, loving Krishna, and I'm doing the best that I can, you know, they may, they may not, or they may or they may not, but if I'm doing it as my service to Krishna, then that, that, that in itself is satisfying, you see? So you can still, you know, if, if Narada Muni realized at that point that, um, you know, sometime in, the, in his married life, in that, in that Leela, in that pastime, then he would, uh, you know, he could have immediately been back into his real identity, even though he had on a female body because he could have immediately um, uh, been serving Krishna and remembering Krishna like that, you see? Yeah. So even though he was in the material world, in, in the body, and still to some degree covered by uh, feelings associated with that body and so on, uh, he could still um, act upon his real identity of being Krishna's devotee and feeling very close to Krishna, serving Krishna. And there'd be no change when... You see, because that, in that story that I gave, there's a huge change. He's thinking, I am this woman in this pastime. This is my family. This is my country. This is my kingdom. And, uh, but a devotee of Krishna, even though he's living in this world, he, really, he knows that this is not my kingdom. Like, in other words, you think you're the king of your house, right? This is my house. I am the center of the house. This house is, is mine. But a devotee of Krishna doesn't think like this. He thinks this is owned by Krishna. And I am Krishna's devotee and I'm going to use this to serve Krishna in some way. And then this way he remembers his real identity. And he's not in under the spell of illusion like that. You see what I'm saying? So, yeah, it is, it is, it is how you look at it, you know. Uh, so, um, it's not like, it's not psychology. And it's, it's not like... In the beginning, it's kind of like you, you kind of train yourself, I guess, in a sense, to do things for Krishna. And there's, you follow certain do's and certain don'ts, and, and um, you try to bring Krishna into your life. But gradually, um, this universal, this knowledge that Krishna is uh, everywhere, and everything is Krishna's, and I am Krishna's servant, becomes established in your heart. And... Um, you know, it's not that, um, it's not like, a psych it's, it's not psychology, it's, I know this from within my heart, from uh, tasting love for Krishna, feeling close to Krishna. I know I'm Krishna's devotee, and therefore I know that um, my business is serving Him, and this is who I am, and that's, you know, that's, that's what gradually comes about. It comes about, in the beginning, I tried to see this. I, 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 I'm very immersed in my false identity of who, of who I think I am. And I try to see, I try to understand Krishna. I try to, to uh, you know, I hear this and it kind of makes sense, but um, I'm not feeling it. I don't know it really, you know. But gradually, as you, you practice... Uh, bhakti yoga or sadhana bhakti then 
this uh, becomes a more and more established realization in fact within your heart and you know that you're a Krishna's devotee and you know that you have nothing to do with this material world. So um, gradually over time this realization becomes more and more established within your heart. Okay? So we go for the next verse. Mm. Is there any more questions on that? No? Intelligent persons who are not endeavoring for liberation, for liberation from old age and death take refuge in me in devotional service. They are actually Brahman. Oh, I'm sorry, I skipped a verse here. Persons who have acted piously in previous lives and in this life, whose sinful actions are completely eradicated and who are freed from the duality of delusion, engage themselves in my service with determination. Okay, so... As we chant the Maha Mantra and engage in the uh, Sadhana Bhakti, one of the things that happens is that sinful reaction from this life and previous lives becomes eradicated. This sinful reaction is acting as a big, as a like a, a cloud that's over our eyes. Uh, this, to um, that is increasing our delusion. But as that is washed away and the heart becomes more purified, then um, we become freed from that delusion. And, and the, one of the symptoms of somebody who is freed from the duality of delusion engages themselves this is what Krishna says, engage themselves in my service with determination. So, here's how you can tell. It's a very good, like, uh, test. What is your determination in life? If, you are, if your main determination is to make it in this world in some, in some way, then you can see that you are... Uh, deeply in delusion. <laughs> if you are very determined, just like if somebody was um, uh, determined, like in a video game or something, right? You're you're watching somebody and they're so determined to make it in this video game. Like the, and, so, and some like sane person walking by would be like. Dude, it's only a video game. It doesn't really matter. A person who's very determined in this world is obviously, just like someone who's very determined in some nonsense video game, you know what I'm saying? It doesn't really exist. You're not really in some fucking space land, you know, with Martians trying to get you or something. You know, that's not really happening. If you're really determined about that, you've got something wrong, you know, something's wrong with you. So, um... They're really determined. Those people who are in deep delusion are very determined to achieve something in this world. And they're very serious about it. And when things go wrong, it's like 
Their life is over. You know, can you imagine if someone in a video game, if something went wrong in the video game and they're crying and, you know what I mean? It's a funny YouTube video about that. So, you know, they take it really serious. But somebody who knows this video game doesn't really exist couldn't really care less, right? They put the controller down, it's back to their life, right? So, uh, so th those that are very devoted or very serious, um, very determined in this world are deeply in delusion. And those that are uh, free from delusion, like Krishna says here, engage themselves in my service with determination. So, when someone is freed from this false identity, false uh, conception of who they are, then they engage themselves in only what is real because they're no longer deluded. So they know that I am the eternal servant of Krishna and therefore I engage in Krishna's service as the only thing that matters. Everything else doesn't matter. It doesn't really exist it's only a temporary thing, just like I'm temporary playing a video game and I go back to my regular life, right? So the devotees of Krishna, knowing, being freed from the delusion of uh, uh, false, I, false ego, uh, they engage themselves in Krishna's service with determination. So there you have it. Okay. So, I think maybe that's okay for now. So that's, yeah, we did a couple verses there. Two more for next week. All right. Any questions? Uh, what, if, what if you subscribe to the notion of reality that must be observation in people, find lots that people exist within a range, a biological range, and you know, some people are born like really smart, and people are born, you know, not like that, but other people, you know, evolve in circumstances, but everyone operates within some kind of biological range that's determined by like a mixture of their upbringing environment and how their genetics react with the environment, and so it's like, you, you can kind of go here, that it's like a game of like, um, it's like a kind of a game of sims or whatever there's only so far you can run within like a kind of the parameter of what you were given and i've always tried to like break boundaries and stuff what happens when you when it's hard to like accept life as it is within your current like biological what you feel as those circumstantial parameters i know there's like self-limiting beliefs and stuff to an extent but it's really kind of difficult i suppose like someone like seems ridiculous like in a wheelchair with a broken leg like what I want to do is like run, be a fast runner, be a really fast runner, but they have like short legs or they are like fat and their parents are fat. And then, I don't know, it's just really, for whatever reason, it's really difficult for them to be like that. And they, it's really hard to kind of like accept and integrate things. And I know they're seeking pleasure outside, but yeah, it's, it's hard to be, finding it hard to be meaningful, life to be meaningful and stuff because I don't know, they have like, you know, they feel, you know, feel unfulfilled or whatever, like how, how is it, it seems difficult sometimes to kind of merge everyday living with, uh, you know, like the inner, being very like inner, 
and um, I suppose being very complete without kind of like retreating to like some island and meditating every day mm-hmm. you like with your everyday functionality so that's that's the um, called karma yoga and anybody can do it Karma yoga means, karma means action, doing things. Yoga means for Krishna, for God, union with God. So karma yoga means uh, serving God. So um, anybody can do it. Even if you're in a wheelchair or if you're fat or if you're skinny, it doesn't matter. Anybody can do it. Anybody can chant, you know, on beads or anybody can, even if you can't chant on beads because you're mute, you can still do something. You can remember Krishna. You have a mind, right? Then you can serve Krishna in your mind, and that's fine. That's just as good. Even if you can't even if you even if you're mute and a and a deaf and a cripple, you have no arms, no legs, no ears, and no ability to speak. No, yeah, no friends, no nothing. You can still serve Krishna because you can serve Krishna in your mind. You can offer Krishna flowers in your mind. You can, you can do anything for Krishna in your mind. There's no limit to what you can do for Krishna in your mind. And there's no difference between service to Krishna with the body and service to Krishna with the mental body. Both bodies are material bodies and you can serve Krishna in both. So anybody at any time can engage in Krishna's service and Krishna will, that person will experience that Krishna is very pleased with them within their heart. Their heart would light up, will light up with happiness and um, they will more and more become situated in their actual real identity. So it has nothing to do with genetics or anything like that, in, at levels of intelligence or anything. Um, it's simply uh, a desire to serve Krishna and, then, and that's all a person needs. You'll find a way to do it. Okay? Everybody has their own challenges in life. Everyone's got, uh, you know, their own shit that they have to deal with. So that's fine. But you don't need to deal with it. You can just bypass it and serve Krishna. You can just bypass it and do what you can, you know. Sometimes people are so, people's minds are so uh, crazy that they can't even... It's very difficult for them to chant even two minutes... Uh, on their beads. Uh, okay, fine. Chant two minutes. And do what you can do. Even if you can't chant your beads, you can still, uh, you know, make some, make some food or you, for Krishna. Or, um, you know, ask somebody who's serving Krishna if, they, if you can help in some way. Maybe hand out flyers or, um, you know, help with a website or something like that, you know. There's always something someone can do. Even if they're so, their, their minds are so crazy that they can't even chant around, they can still do something, you know? So nobody is excluded from that. Everybody, everybody is Krishna's child and has the right to serve his parent, Krishna. And everybody has their own bodies with their own unique challenges and so on. I remember when I started chanting, I was um, feeling like I was just a, I was like a, 
I felt like I had some pro like I had a lot of problems with relating to people um and uh just being a well-behaved person <laughs> that's pretty much it just being well-behaved like I, I just had a hard time with it just and, and I'd always be getting in trouble and um so I felt like uh that almost like it was a handicap like it was it was stopping me from becoming a devotee of Krishna but it's actually not true because all Krishna cares about is your desire, what you want. So if you want to be close to Krishna, and Krishna knows that from within your heart, and that's everything. That's 100%. You know, that that desire is everything. As long as you have the desire to come to cl close to Krishna, then there's nothing else that's needed. Krishna will take care of everything else. So everyone has their own issues you know that was my kind of issue one of my issues you know alex has his nihar has his amara has hers you have yours everyone has their shortcomings and imperfections but um whatever what what one person what a person really needs to focus on is their flame of desire to come closer to krishna and if you find this desire is very 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 small and you're upset about it and you'd like it to be bigger there you go. Then you've got some desire right there. So Krishna appreciates that little bit of desire and He will help flame it to a stronger desire. So we all have so many... This material world, as Srila Prabhupada said, is not a conducive place to remember Krishna. It's very difficult to remember Krishna in this world. It's a very difficult place all because of, the, the, because of Maya, really. It's a very difficult place to remember Krishna. So, Krishna understands that. Krishna knows that. So as long, but deep down inside, whatever little desire you have to serve Krishna, to know Krishna, to come, to be pleasing to Krishna, um, that is what we really need to monitor. Right. So not not to worry about all this, other, our all our shortcomings. It's not really of any importance whatsoever. What's important is that desire within the heart. Okay? Good. So, we'll chant for a few minutes.
Thank you very much.